Hey, hey, welcome to Why Are We Whispering with me, Jenny Gay, author, stepmom, and all-around truth seeker and teller. If you're tuning in, you too are tired of sugar-coated content and conversations. This is the place where I put a megaphone to the mouths of adults, talking about life experiences that most of us find too shameful, too uncomfortable, too traumatic, and too embarrassing to discuss openly. We dive headfirst into experiences, thoughts, and behaviors that we keep secret or hush-hush, never truly speaking honestly and openly about them, but that most of us have in common. And I'm talking about it because life can be hard, it can be ugly, and it can be painful. And guess what? It's like that for all of us. So let's stop whispering. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us again today. Um, Today, we're talking about children's mental health. Um, As parents, all we really want for our kids is to be happy and healthy, to feel understood, to also understand themselves, their thoughts, their feelings, and even their own behaviors. So when your child is struggling at school or with their friends or maybe even making friends, or perhaps it's anxiety, maybe struggling with depression or with regulating their feelings and emotions, it's not only heartbreaking as a parent, but it's also stressful and can leave us feeling helpless. In these situations, it's not just our kids actually who need support. It's us as the parents, the teachers, the families, we need those tools as well. And that is why I have asked the lovely Laura Earnshaw, to lend her expertise and her experience on today's podcast. She's not only a dear, 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 dear friend of mine, <laughs> but she is a leader in the, um, the space of children's mental health. And she is the founder and CEO of My Happy Mind, which is backed by the NHS. And the program is now in 1500 schools across the UK. She's making a positive massively positive, I should say, impact on thousands of kids and families across the UK. So I'm so happy that she has agreed to come on and talk about this very important topic that I think most of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, currently need some support with, um, with our own kids, especially in a, in a post-COVID world. So thank you so much, Laura, for being here. You're welcome. It's fabulous to be here. I think a good place to start for today um, is for you, because not everybody who's tuning in will will have heard of My Happy Mind. So I think it's really important for you to kind of give a backstory on um, where the idea kind of came from, because I think it's it's a great story and it really is the heart of your business. And that, you know, that, that heart has carried through in everything that you've launched for My Happy Mind. So it would be great to start with that and then to talk us through what it actually is and how it's helping. Yeah, of course. Delighted to. And thank you again so much for having me on. So um, I actually started my career working in big corporates. So I worked for AstraZeneca, for PricewaterhouseCooper and many other um, organizations. And my role was essentially to help the CEOs of those organizations to build resilience and well-being and leadership in their most senior leaders. And it was great. I got to travel the world and and see all sorts of amazing places and um, do all sorts of amazing things including working with universities like Harvard Business School to learn the latest science and research around well-being and resilience that I could then bring back into um, those organizations. But then, you know, you get married, you have kids and um, priorities start to shift. And um, my first experience of having a child in school was not necessarily a particularly positive one. So um, they found the transition into school really tricky. So 
tears at the gates, tears at the end of the day, struggling to make friends, and really just found the whole experience um, quite unsettling. And I went in to see the school to say, you know, look, what are we going to do? How are we going to figure this out? This is obviously a problem. And they basically told me that um, my child needed to develop a stiff upper lip. And yes, they were four years old. So um, as you can imagine, wasn't particularly happy with uh, with that response. So I... wildly unhelpful. Wildly unhelpful um, on so many levels. And also wildly concerning that that would be the view of you know, a teacher who you think when you're handing your four-year-old over to a school, right, that they're going to be nurtured and supported and cared for. And of course, in most of the cases, they are absolutely, this isn't me bashing teachers, but the reality in my scenario was that that wasn't happening. And so I took myself home and opened a particularly nice bottle of Amarone and uh, started to uh, started to map out all of the areas that I knew my child needed help with. So self-regulation, high self-esteem, you know, knowing how to manage tricky friendship issues, etc. And what I realized when I was kind of halfway through the nice bottle of Amarone was that actually everything that I needed to teach them was the science I'd been teaching in corporates for years. So I knew the science, I knew the research, I just needed yeah. to find a way to teach it to a child. And that was really, I guess, the seed that started my happy mind. And, and then just after that happened, I was about to board a flight to China with work and received a phone call that I describe as like having a double-decker bus crashing into me at a million miles an hour. And that was to tell me that somebody in my family had been sectioned. So somebody very close to me. And this was someone who, by the way, had no history of mental ill health. They were a successful entrepreneur, happily married, kids in private school, cars on the drive, like from the outside looking in. Everything looked pretty rosy, but they mm-hmm. had cracked under the pressure that entrepreneurship and modern life can bring. It was when I was driving home from visiting them in a secure mental hospital, which is a pretty harrowing experience, I can tell you, mm-hmm. that I decided, hang on, if mental health issues can affect my child, who's lived up in a very loving, happy home, and it can affect this individual who has it all, then it can affect everybody. And I got home. I quit my corporate job and I decided I was going to start an organization to teach children in primary schools how to have good mental health. And that is where it all began. (laughs) Takes massive courage and bravery um, for yourself and also an exercise and resilience for yourself as well. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was tough. And my husband, as you know, is less of a less of a risk taker than I am. So, you know, all the questions around (laughs) But you have this great salary and you have this great job and you have this great career. I was like, yeah, 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 that's all fine. Let's not worry about that. You know, give me a year and let me see what I can build. And that was, you know, that was the way I kind of couched it for those um, who were less confident, perhaps in in my ability to build something than I was. All for the right (laughs) reasons, right? You know, I wasn't a teacher, I wasn't a therapist, but I knew I could bring those people around me and make, make something happen. And we're now in, as you said, we're now in one and a half thousand schools and growing at, uh, uh, growing that every week, um, building the, the number of schools we're in every single week. So that's amazing. So I think um, what I love about your program is that, um, as I mentioned before, it's not just about giving the support to the kids. It's also yeah. the family units and the, the parents themselves as well. So 
and the teachers um, as well. Yeah. So can you just talk us through the, so there's the, the families program and then there's also the school program. So how do those yeah. um, differ? And if you can just talk us through what are some of the tools that you're providing? Yeah, so um, it's really interesting, actually. I think you make a really good point about that kind of the, the importance of a systemic approach, right? So ultimately, our mission is to support children to develop the school, um, the skills and the tools to thrive, right? That's what we're here to do and to prevent mental mm-hmm. ill health in later life. But actually, mm-hmm. the only way you can do that is if you also support and educate parents and if you also mm-hmm. support and educate teachers. Because, you know, the, the problem I saw very personally and the problem that I talk to thousands of parents about every single year is that not all teachers understand the science behind well-being, And that's not their fault. They're not taught it. Like, can you believe that even today, even today in 2024, when we've got children and young people's mental health spiraling out of all control, yeah. that in teacher training, there is still no formal training around the science of how you build resilience and how you build self-esteem in kids, which are the two most um, preventable factors that you can um, that you can work with in young children, build resilience, build self-esteem. If you get those two things right, children are much less likely to struggle with mental health down the line. There is still in 2024, no formal training. It blows my mind. I, I was just going to say those kinds of um, skill sets and those tools to give the kids to build that resilience and to understand their their feelings and emotions and manage all of those things. You would think that those are building blocks to learning. So if your child is able to manage their stress and manage their their feelings and emotions and know when, okay, I'm not feeling great here, that that would seep into and improve their ability to retain information and to learn and to develop and to grow. So you would think that that would just be a natural part of teaching. Absolutely. And that mm-hmm. that's the mic drop moment, right? Is that it is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. all, of the, all, all of the studies say resilient children who have good self-esteem, so they feel good about who they are, learn better happier Mm. kids learn better and so sometimes schools kind of see it as an either or um, but it's not they're massively complementary and if kids aren't happy you're absolutely right they won't learn they won't retain if you've got a kid going into a classroom who's got low resilience low self-esteem they are not going to engage in the learning and retain the learning they're just not going to do that so it's an absolute no-brainer and um, I think that, so that that kind of thought process around that the, it, that it's a it's a nice to have rather than a need yeah. to have really needs to change yeah. fundamentally because this is absolutely a necessity to education. No, it's not. But the education system here in the UK, at least, has been pretty much the same for what a century. You know, yeah. our kids are still learning about the Great Fire of London. Like, you know, oh, wow. it's an important event in our history, but surely there's something more current that they could be learning about. So part of the battle that we've had to navigate or the challenge we've had to navigate with My Happy Mind is is finding those schools and those head teachers. And you'll be pleased to know there's lots of them that get that, right? And I can tell within five minutes of talking to a head teacher whether they get that or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, society is starting to cotton on to this idea that we have to prevent alongside reacting. You know, we can't just keep throwing investment into reactive services like um, counseling and therapies of course yeah. we have to do that as well for those children who need it but we we also have to be preventing and the the best way to do that is through is through education um but the other thing linked to that that you kind of alluded to in the introduction which i think is a really important point is that parents in the same way that teachers don't get trained parents don't get trained in this stuff so if you yeah. don't know it you don't know it right 
in this country, there's a whole load of um, kind of government uh, provided training when you're pregnant, right? NCT classes, preparing you for the physical and the emotional experience of the labor. But then it's like the baby comes out and you're like, over to you. You know, you might get a little bit of help with breastfeeding in the hospital if you're lucky, but what so we're supposed to know how to build our kids resilience and how to build our self kids self-esteem like nobody tells us this stuff and so the program that we offer is in schools also has a parent app for the parents and has an entire program for staff as well so that everybody gets the same science-backed education so that everybody knows how you can um pull the right levers with your child to build their resilience and their self-esteem um so yeah that's that's how we approach it is very much a systemic approach to to supporting families? Well, I think it's absolutely necessary, definitely in the classroom, because I was just reading, um, I think it was youngminds.org, that it's yeah. one in six kids between the ages of like five and 16. Um, so that's five kids per average classroom are struggling with their yeah. mental health to yeah. a, such a significant degree that um, a lot of parents are going in and trying to get, you know, urgent, urgent care for these yeah. kids. Um, which yeah. isn't actually readily available available at all. So this, you know, goes back to prevention rather than Absolutely. we are a society, even with, you know, our physical bodies where we are very much into like treating the symptoms yeah, rather Not than before. preventing the disease. Right. So um, yeah. the same has to be applied to our, our mental health and, I think there was another um, stat that I read there that it was um, kids. So it's like one third of mental health problems in adulthood, hood, hood, sorry, are directly connected to adverse childhood, which exactly. means that you're four times more likely then to have a yeah. mental health issue as an adult. Now, if these adults are procreating and having children, this goes back yeah. to prevention, right? Exactly. So we need to be exactly. nipping this in the bud. So those st- and those stats are growing. Those are going up yeah. exponentially each year. So yeah. um, this program is absolutely critical, I think, to the health of just society in general. It's really interesting because actually those stats as well, of course, just talk to diagnosable mental health conditions. So that yes. one in six or, or one in, I think it might even be creeping up to what closer to one in five now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kids who've got a diagnosed mental health condition. Right. And now, so of course, you know, be, getting a diagnosis is impossible right now. Right. Exactly. And so there'll be a bunch of other kids in that same class who might have some low level anxieties or some not yet diagnosed challenges. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at those numbers, you go, wow, that could be, you know, actually significantly higher. And you're right, wait lists for treatment are a nightmare, you know, unless you are really critically unwell, um, and struggling with, you know, really severe mental health issues, you can quite easily be waiting a year to get um, an initial counselling appointment on the NHS. Um, So the, the, the issue is very real. And Thankfully, the NHS see that and they are very big supporters of My Happy Mind and they commission My Happy Mind across the country because they realise that we have to prevent, we have to take pressure off those services so that the kids who need it most get the help they need quickly. Yeah. Um, and you'll only do that if you prevent. So, yeah, it's 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 critical. So do you are you finding that there's I mean, of course, with your program, you have parents coming to you. So, I mean, you're yeah. you're. You, your experience with it might be slightly different, but I know that in a lot of conversations that I have with people that I know, acquaintances, even parents at school, um, there just seems to be almost like a denial of the prevalence of children with mental 
health um, challenges. And I just wonder, you know, why we carry, and, and I'd love to get your input on this, there seems to be a shame associated with the stigma of having any form of mental, from a low level mental health issue all the way up to, you know, a severe clinical diagnosis. Um, why do, why do you think we carry so much shame around it? And then I, and, and the shame prevents, I think a lot of parents from actively seeking out the support and the help to get their children diagnosed or give them those tools to support them through that. And I, I would really love to unpick, you know, wh- why we carry shame around mental health issues, but not necessarily physical health mm. issues. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think you're absolutely right. I think there is a load of shame um, around mental health. And I think particularly yeah. as a parent, if your child is struggling, there's all sorts of feelings around, you know, have I failed them? Was it my fault? Did I do something wrong? Yeah. Um, why me? You know, all of these kind of um, questions that parents ask themselves. And we're great at punishing ourselves as parents, right? We're brilliant yeah. at that. Um, and so I think I think it's a very real issue. And, and I think maybe one perspective that is interesting to explore is that, you know, the, the volume around mental health has definitely gone up over the last couple of decades. Right. There's been mm-hmm. a lot more people in the public eye speaking about their own mental health issues. There's been lots of, um, you know, royal family and other people in, involved in kind of charitable campaigns to, to raise awareness. But interestingly for me, the the conversation is still around mental health problems. Right. And what we're trying to do is raise the noise equally around mental health solutions, right? Right. Because we all have mental health, just like we all have physical health. And sometimes, you know, we're feeling fit, we're exercising well, we're eating well, we're feeling good physically. Sometimes we have good physical health. Sometimes we have less good physical health. It's the same with our mental health. Sometimes we have good mental health. Sometimes we have less good mental health. But when you hear the term mental health, most people think, problem or they go not me not Not me not my kid we're okay and so I think part of the issue is that the conversation around mental health unlike the conversation around physical health is still very negative it's still about a deficit or a problem or a challenge and so Mm -hmm. instantly even the words mental health are quite triggering for people They're, they're they're kind of um charged with shame even as even as the words which is crazy um but I do think that People fear judgment as well. And I think that as parents, you know, we we inherently have this role of protecting our kids. And I think there is a, um, a kind of a misalignment of understanding there that if our kids are struggling with mental health, the way to protect them is to hide it. Whereas actually the way to protect them is to get them the right support. Of but course. people don't want to talk about it because they feel the shame. So it's this kind of vicious circle that I think people get themselves into. And um, I think a lot of parents feel like it's a reflection on them as in yes. what, I have done something to contribute. And, you know, perhaps yes. you have, perhaps you have a toxic environment in the home, perhaps, you know, you yourself are making some bad decisions and your child having uh, challenges and w- with their mental health is actually as a result of, you know, yeah. an environment that you've created. So there's a bit of a mirror there that we, we don't want to look at. Um, Absolutely. How what what do you think the first step is if you were speaking to a parent who doesn't want to see that in their child because mm. they feel it is there's a mirror in front of them and they know that it's because of maybe an environment that they have created? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think it's important just to, to say at this point that, of course, mental health issues can come from a variety of, of different places. So yeah. I like to kind of group it simplistically. Of course, it's more complex than this, but simplistically, there's kind of biological and genetic factors. So mm-hmm. if you have a parent who struggles with anxiety, depression or other mental health challenges, you are more likely as a child to inherit them. So that's the first category. The second category is, I think, what you're alluding to, which is kind of environmental factors. So, you know, things like divorce, bereavement, big changes in a child life can lead to mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And then the third category is is kind of what I broadly describe as, you know, the individual. So, you know, children who are shy or children who are um, more sensitive are more likely to struggle with, with mental health issues. So I think, you know, depending on... Um, where that parent is coming from you know for example if a parent has themselves struggled with mental health throughout their whole life and they're starting to notice that in their child that shame you know dial is going to go out of control because they're going to be thinking about their own experiences that's going to bring up all of their own stuff around what they've gone through and they're going to be desperately worried for their child that they don't experience that so that's that's a whole other kind of conversation Mm. um if it's an environmental factor, so perhaps there's been a divorce or a big, you know, um, a loss of income due to a redundancy or something like that. As you say, there's the guilt, there's the could we have avoided this? Is it all my fault? And then if if the child is shy or more sensitive and they struggle with mental health issues um, as a result of that, then the parent will say, could I have done something different? Right. So in, in any scenario that the, the mental health issue may have originated from, as parents, I think we will ask ourselves the question, could I have done it different? Or we'll be seeking to protect our child from from um, from whatever it is that's going on for them. So honestly, I think the best thing we can do as parents, if we are in that place, and if we're sitting with this and going, oh my gosh, I'm worried about my child, I don't know what to do, is to talk to a trusted person um, in the first instance, right? That could be your best friend. It could be a teacher that you trust. It could be your partner. But the first step is saying it out loud. Yeah, always. What would be key indicators that parents and teachers should look out for um, to identify if a child is actually struggling with their mental health? Because I think that that is probably where, as parents specifically, we we might fall a little bit short because it's not something we're well, well-versed in necessarily, yeah. right? So yeah. you might just chalk it up to that child having a bad day or they're having a fight with one of their friends at school. And so you might miss the signs. Yeah. Um, so what are the key indicators that we need to look out for? Yeah, great question. And again, I like I like to talk about things in threes. So there's kind of three key areas that can be really useful to kind of keep in mind. So mm-hmm. the first one is is behavior, right? So if you notice that your child is behaving differently and it's it's looking for the difference and the, the changes really. So for mm-hmm. example, maybe they're taking themselves off to their room more than they normally would. Maybe they're withdrawing from like family dinner earlier or withdrawing from wanting to see friends or wanting to socialize. Mm-hmm. Um, they can all be indications or maybe you're seeing them behave differently so maybe they're more angry maybe they're lashing out more so looking at behavior um, and any changes there can be the first first bucket if you like of things to look for the second is around um, sleep so often children who are struggling with their mental health will struggle to fall asleep um, or they will sleep more than normal and so watching for changes in bedtime routine sleep patterns is another one um that can be quite a good a good indicator and then last but not least is food mm. so um 
sometimes children who are struggling will eat more so they will look to comfort eat um and sometimes children who are struggling will eat less so they will lose their appetite and you know we're not talking here about one day so you know if they're at a birthday party and there's loads of sweets like don't all go panicking that your child might be struggling but if you're noticing a trend over time um thinking about sleep food and behavior and just almost being a bit of a scientist and taking a step back and going am I noticing anything that's changing in those three areas can Mm -hmm. be a really good way to think about it um because generally speaking that's where anxieties and worries will show up in eating habits in sleeping habits and in behavior interesting I find that worry is um Worry is something that uh, even in my own kids, as they're getting older, it, it keeps creeping up. Um, yeah. So we have two dogs. Um, and actually, I mean, this morning I was talking to Frank and um, obviously ahead of this um, this podcast. And, and for those of you who don't know, the My Happy Mind um, program was actually in my kids' school. So I was asking them questions about it and, you know, what did you like? And they were, oh, there was a period of time. This is, I digress here, but there was a period of time where they were obsessed with the amygdala. (laughs) They were taught all about the amygdala and they were just, you know, they were educating me at one point on it. So I do, this is one of the the reasons I love the program, but I find (laughs) that worry is such, um, it's a heavy feeling for kids. So for us, we worry about things as adults, but you know, we're able to compartmentalize. We we know how to prioritize worry. We know how to work through things. We can reason and rationalize things away and out of our minds. But for kids, it feels like it's almost, um, it's such a heavy feeling for them. Mm. And I, I think it can trip into a deeper feeling, which can then trip into anxiety and feelings that are less controllable. So Um, worry is something that I talk quite frequently with, uh, my two about. And this morning we were talking, I asked Frank, I said, what, you know, what are your, what's your main worry on like a daily basis? What do you worry about? And she said, the dogs. (laughs) And I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that answer. You know, I was thinking like homework or, you know, are my friends falling out with me or whatever it is? No, it was the dogs. And I actually... (laughs) I started thinking about it. I'm like, Hmm, that actually makes sense. Cause when you talk about patterns, right. Yeah. And, um, for the last couple of weeks or so, um, I've noticed that every time we get in the car to go to school in the morning, my daughter asks, have you locked the back door? Uh, yeah. And I, and I asked her, I'm like, why do you keep asking about the back? Of course I've locked the back door. And she goes, well, I don't want the dogs to get out. Yeah. Um, so in her mind, she's creating all these scenarios about how yeah. the dogs could escape. And yeah. um, I had to walk it through with her, you know, well, they would have to have hands, first of all, <laughs> to open the door. <laughs> you know, there's not really a way for, even if it was unlocked, there's not really a way for them. So I'm trying to get her to, to start yeah. thinking logically and reason it, right? Um, and so we were working through tools like that, um, which then the connector to this morning's conversation made sense when she said dogs. And then I was kind of putting two and two together and it kind of started when my wife went away on business and was out of country. That's when she started having this worry about the back door and losing the dogs. So it it all kind of connects. Right. And I think as parents, we need to 
really think about those conversations and the things, the change, like you said, the change in the pattern. And so yeah. that's why each day now we're, we're talking about what her worries are and how we're going to logically work through them and reason them away and get your thoughts on, on what the program does in terms of tools. Cause I'm, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I, I'm just doing what makes sense to me. Right. Cause we, as we're amazing parents. You're an amazing mum. You are doing it right. And, and, you know, so much of this, I think one of the other challenges is that we can, we can overcomplicate it in our minds and we can think, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm not going to do anything. Right. And actually the best thing you can do is talk to your kids, have those open conversations. And also what I love about what you just described is that you were being a bit of a scientist, right? You were kind of going, Hmm, that's interesting. She's, that was her main worry. And then you were going, I wonder what could have triggered that worry. Hmm. You know, my wife's away on business. They're probably missing her. Hmm. Yeah. And then you're exploring it. And and I think part of the challenge is that we live such busy, hectic lives. You know, we're bouncing from one thing to the next constantly that we don't necessarily always take the time to stop and to be a bit of a scientist, to think about mm-hmm. it, to really process what might be going on for our kids. So it's amazing that you're doing that and helping her to make those links as well can be really, really um, powerful. But I think, you know, one of the most important things that we can do for our kids is to ensure that they know that they have a a trusted person in you to talk to and that when you're talking to them, that that feels like a good experience. And and there's a couple of, um, I think, a couple of things that are particularly important with that. Um, Because, again, you know, when we're listening to our kids, we're often doing that when we're busy, right? So maybe we're cooking dinner, we're emptying the dishwasher, the kids are doing the homework and we go, how was your day? And they go, yeah, fine. And we think we've checked in, right? We think we've checked in, but actually that wasn't a great conversation because you're busy, they're busy, you're distracted. But if you were able to craft, you know, even 10, 15 minutes in your day, um, maybe it's at bedtime, maybe it's before bath time, whenever it is where you say, hey, I really want to hear about your day. And in that moment, you are actively listening. So you're not doing anything else. You're not on your phone. You're making eye contact with them. They know mm-hmm. they have your full attention. Yeah. You will get so much more out of them. Right. And then the other critical skill that, we're, again, we, we're constantly talking about in the program because we teach kids to actively listen in the program so that they know how it feels and they know how to do it. Mm-hmm. But the other um, piece that's really important, I think, for parents is that whatever your kids tell you, whatever emotion they're feeling, you have to validate that those emotions are okay. 100%. Validation is crucial with kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear so many parents and I will have been guilty about uh, of doing this myself, by the way, in the past, but so many parents because of a, a very um, good intention, devalidating their kids' emotions without realizing it. So for example, you know, your child says, oh, I, I got really upset today because I didn't get picked for the netball team. You don't need to be sad about that. You'll get picked next time. Don't worry about it. There'll be loads of other chances. In that moment, you've, you've not validated their emotion. All you needed mm-hmm. to say was, I can understand why you feel really sad about that. You mm-hmm. must feel awful about that. I get that. That doesn't feel great. I can remember having that feeling too. In fact, I felt it the other day when I didn't get picked for something at work that I really wanted to do. In that moment, the most important thing we do is validate because otherwise we're dismissing their emotions. We're making them feel like you shouldn't have had that emotion, which then creates shame for feeling sadness. And then guess what? They'll stop telling you how they feel. And I Um, think it's also important what you just said, the the power in them also, and I, I talk to my kids about this as well, is whether you're 
two years old or 102 years old, we feel the same feelings and emotions. So creating that um, connecting point where it's like, where you just said, oh, I understand how you feel because I actually felt that way too today when this happened. So for your kids to know that you you feel disappointment, you feel sadness, you feel left out and exclusion and you as adults as well. And so that's how we're all connected. And then it makes them feel less alone and more comfortable to talk to you about it because they know you feel the same things they do. Yeah. You're modeling, right? You're modeling it. And then, you know, often I'll say to my kids as well, you know, oh, mommy's had a really tough day today. Some of my meetings didn't go so well. It made me feel a bit disappointed. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go have a nice bath. I'm going to have a nice relax in the bath. Hmm. So you're not just explaining that I feel these things too, but you're teaching them positive strategies to move through those emotions. Right. Um, so, you know, I think that's really important as well is not just teaching kids that the emotion's okay, but also they're helping them to understand how they can move through those emotions in a really positive way. So giving them strategies to cope with that as well. What do you think would happen or, or does happen if children are left without the tools to build resilience and, to self-regulate emotions and feelings. What what can parents expect if they don't provide tools such as a program like My Happy Mind or, or you know, yeah, if children are just left without that? I think that if children don't learn from an early age how to um, navigate their own emotions, understand their own emotions and express their own emotions... Um, then they will, you know, it's emotional literacy, really. They will struggle to learn to Mm self-regulate. And if children struggle to self-regulate, there's a couple of different scenarios that can can play out. They can either hold on to emotions um, and they can eat away as inside and then we can Mm -hmm. end up lashing out, so kind of building it up and then breaking down. Um, Or they will struggle to empathise with others, right? So one of the key things about developing emotional literacy in kids is that not only they can understand themselves but they can understand others and they can develop positive relationships with others so kids who don't um, learn those strategies can end up struggling to form attachment end up um, struggling to form long-term relationships Mm -hmm. um, and can end up struggling to process their own emotions so it's it's critical whether it's through my happy mind or just good parenting or you know good school teachers who are who are supporting the development of those things through other ways, it's really critical that we prioritise um, emotional literacy in our kids. Yeah. Um, not all kids who don't go through My Happy Mind or don't have you know, those tools are going to end up with, with challenges. It's, it's not as simple as that. Yeah. Um, but certainly helping our kids to develop those skills is, is going to set them up for, for better relationships and, and ultimately for them to feel happier and to have the tools to manage the stuff that life's going to throw at them, which will be you know, extensive for all of us. Absolutely. And presumably to become functioning adults, because I think exactly because this is historically children's mental health has been um, not anything that has been really included in, as we mentioned, education, um, not just in this country, but in countries all over the world. And I think it's almost created generations of um, dysfunctional adults and, yeah. and then also dysfunctional parents. So then you have children who were not given the tools um, to manage their emotions and, and to be, you know, 
um, resilient and, and all of that have become adults who can't self-regulate their emotions and their feelings. Yeah. And then those adults are then having children and the cycle continues. So yes, when we're exactly. talking about preventative um, solutions here, I think that that's the bigger picture is what yeah. your program and what you're aiming to do is also helping to create functioning adults to create a better society and to be create create another generation of better parents than we are. Yeah, absolutely. And everything's easier to learn when you're young, right? Oh, yes, Skiing's definitely. easier to learn when you're young. French is easier to learn when you're young. Totally. It's no different than this stuff. So, yeah. you know, if we can get kids young and we can teach them these strategies young, it's going to be easier for them to, to grow up having that toolkit um, than yeah. if you're trying to do it with a 50-year-old who's who's never had any of that education. So, yeah. Getting in early in prevention is 100% the way forward. And I think a lot of these tools, because some of the things that my kids were, were talking to, to me about when they were doing your program is almost um, teaching kids the ability to create, um, to break neural pathways. So not to get yep. too, you know, scientific here, but when you're talking about bad habits and bad behaviors, yep. it's all about neural pathways that were built at one time or another in your lifetime. So if you have yeah. the tools at a young age to identify this pattern is not healthy for me, I'm able to break that neural pathway and create a new one. Um, yeah. Then that is like, that is a life-changing skill. Yeah. And we because, teach them that like they learn at age four, they're learning about neurons and neural pathways in the program. Yeah. Like we teach yeah. them that stuff. And, and as you say, we teach them that you can break a habit, but also you can make a habit. So even if it feels really hard, for example, to do happy breathing, which is the mindfulness that we teach in the program, yeah. even though that feels hard the first time, every time you do it, you're building a new neural pathway, which makes it easier the next time and, and so on and so right. forth. So you're absolutely right. But I have four-year-olds saying to me, I've just built a neural pathway. Yay. That's <laughs> like, amazing. Because <laughs> some adults don't know this stuff. Um, and the same with the amygdala, you know, we teach kids how their brains work and they know that their amygdala is there to keep them safe, but sometimes it gets it wrong and it causes them to fight, flight, freeze in the wrong situations. And right. here's how you calm your amygdala down. I mean, I know more than a few adults that could do with learning about how to calm their amygdala down. Um, I know, I so, know. Like every, almost everyone I know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's, it, the science is a really important part of what we do because I think it yeah. also... It makes it interesting for kids because they like learning the big words. They like educating us about what they've learned at school. But also, mm -hmm. it's a real leveler, right? We've all got an amygdala. Sometimes all yeah. of our amygdalas kick off because it's misinterpreted a situation for danger. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. It's just how our brains work. We all right. have these moments. And so let's learn strategies to move through it. So it's kind of normalizing um, some of the stuff that perhaps, you know, before we've whispered out in the corridors. Yeah. I love everything that you that you're doing and everything <laughs> your program stands for. And um, if you're a teacher or even a parent out there, and and you want this in your child's school, definitely um, look up the program. It's uh, My Happy Mind, all one word. Is that right? MyHappyMind.org. Yeah, all one word. All one word. Um, yeah. Highly recommend. The family program is brilliant, especially if you're going through a hard time um, in terms of a divorce. Um, as you mentioned, a bereavement, um, anything like that, you know, even if there's perhaps a teenager in the house who's going through just being a teenager, but that's having a negative impact on the rest of the family. If you have younger um, children in the home, the program is brilliant for that as well. So 
Um, and I, I know that lots of the people that I've talked to can absolutely utilize this to improve um, the family dynamics and to learn coping mechanisms and tools to, to manage um, your emotions, even as a parent, because yeah. it's very easy to flare up and you can't expect your children to manage their emotions if you yourself can't manage your own. So put your mask on first, get the tools, and then you can help you know your family. And I think that that um, is probably a really good um, you know point to leave people with on this. But I want to also end the podcast with the question that I ask all of my guests, which is, was there ever a time, Laura, where you um, wanted to speak up or out, but didn't, felt like you couldn't, um, and you regret it? And what was it? And why didn't you speak up? Yeah, it's a great question. And I've thought long and hard about this question. Um, as you know, I'm not really one to hold back on what I think. But <laughs> there, have been, there have been times when I when I perhaps wish I'd said more. And I, I think the, the example that I want to talk about is... Um, is around with other groups of parents Mm -hmm. when I can see that they are getting totally obsessed and overly focused on academic success rather than well-being. And I've been in conversations with, um, you know, parents of kids in my kids' schools where that's been the narrative, you know, they need to this, they need to that, they need to get these grades, they need to do this, they need to revise, and I've not spoken up and I've wanted to say to them, you do realize that the more you push them, the worse they'll do. And that actually what they really need in this moment is your support mm-hmm. and to feel happy and to feel secure. Um, and I, I haven't spoken up because I have thought through the the impact, right? Which is that what if they think I'm an absolute nut job and they stop inviting my kid to the parties or they stop, you know, they stop engaging in me in the same way. So I think sometimes when you have a very strong view and you have some expertise on a topic, and you introduce that to a group and they're not ready to hear it, it doesn't land mm-hmm. well. Um, but there have been times where I look back and I go, oh, I wish I'd have just pulled that one mum to the side and say, yeah. can I give you some tips? Like, don't go down this route. I can see your child struggling a bit. What they really need is to feel loved and to feel confident and to feel okay yeah. with where they're at, not for you to push them even further. So that's the, that's the one I would say I wish I'd, I wish I'd done that differently looking back. And I, I love that because this is why I did wanted to do the podcast, you know, why are we whispering? Um, I feel like you should have been able because intention is everything, right? So your intention is good in wanting to address that with the group or with that parent or whatever, but because we carry so much shame and, and we fear embarrassment, we fear judgment. um, Exactly. it It really keeps us, it keeps us stuck and it keeps us held down because that conversation could have been wildly enlightening for that parent, but yeah. if they're not ready to receive the information, you just look like a dick, right? Yeah. Well, and, 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 <laughs> and that's really and unfortunate. Yeah. And you, and there are implications for you and your child. Exactly. And that's the thing, the consequence of it. So yes, the intent is good, but if you know it won't be received with the intent that you intended, yeah. um, then you have to make those calls and sometimes you go, it's, it's not worth it. Um, cause they're not going to yeah. receive it anyway. And all it's going to do is create a problem down the line. So, but there's, there's been a couple of moments when I look back over the years and I think I, sh- I should have done it anyway. Um, because maybe they yeah. wouldn't have received it, but maybe they would. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's the one that comes to mind. Yeah. I just, what 
I hope everyone who's listening makes the decision today, if you're listening to this podcast, to be open and receptive to people maybe making you a little bit uncomfortable in order for mm. you to make adjustments and improvements, yeah. especially if it's if it's relayed with good intention. Because you know, you you always know, like the person who's giving you know giving you the message, you know their energy, you know if there's they're a good person, you know where it's going to come from. So yeah, I would just hope that everyone maybe opens up a little bit more to uncomfortable conversations, especially around this topic. Um, especially when it has to do with any topic related to our kids, because we don't all have the answers. We don't all know what's best for our kids. I hate that. I hate that saying, well, they're my child. So I know what's best. I know best. Yeah. You don't because we're all just, (laughs) we're all moving in the dark and we're all just trying to gather as much information as we can to do the best that we can with what we have. So if we have exposure to more exposure to more tools, more information, and we knowledge share with each other, then we have the opportunity to be better parents. But if you're closed off to that because fear of judgment or yeah. you know, rejection or embarrassment, then you're, you're doing a disservice to yourself and to your kids. So yeah. I love that you left us on that, on that note because that's, I think, probably a huge take home for a lot of parents, even when it comes to this topic as well. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Laura. Again, um, if if you guys have not heard my, my happy mind, please go to the website, check it out. Um, I think it's for it, it's suitable for every family, to be honest, in every school. Um, and is there some Instagram, Facebook handles or anything like that? Yeah, just so to just find us, you'll find us my happy mind everywhere. So my happy mind on Instagram and on Facebook as well. And Laura also has her own podcast and she's, I've been a guest on it. Thank you. (laughs) So she's got, she covers loads of great topics as well on her podcast. So definitely check it out too. Thank you so much, Laura. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Bye for now, guys. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to the Why Are We Whispering podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and leave a review. You can also follow us on Instagram at Why Whisper Podcast. And don't forget to speak up and out. Let's stop whispering.